Thank you for taking time to listen to this sermon from Hope Church Toronto North. It is our prayer that through this message, you are challenged and encouraged by the Word of God and grow in your love for God and love for others. It is God's desire for us to be members of and regularly participate in a local church under the care of qualified elders. If you are not attending a local church right now, we encourage you to take that step. If you do live in the North York area and are looking for a local church, we invite you to visit us at one of our Sunday morning gatherings to discern if this is the church God is leading you to. So we're continuing in our series, uh, just so you know, the objectives of our local church. We've touched on uh, three messages now, three things out of this series. Spread the message, shepherd one another to maturity in Christ, and strategically multiply our ministry. Uh, Today we're going to be looking at showing mercy in our community. So one verse, so one point, um, should be a relatively quick message. Um, But we're going to divide it up into three parts. We're going to look at who we are, what we do, and why we do what we do. So let's read this verse together. Says Paul says, Let our people learn to devote themselves to good works for pressing needs so that they will not be unfruitful. Thank you, Lord. I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful that you have brought us together again as your people to sing together, to sit under your word, And Lord, to truly celebrate all that you are, all that you've done for us, and all that you continue to do for us. Father, I'm grateful that you've called me and given me this opportunity to deliver your word, um, but I'm aware that I can't do this without you. Lord, I can say the words that you've given me and helped me prepare to say, uh, but Lord, unless your spirit moves Nothing can happen with this. So would you move by your spirit in and through me, in and through us, Lord, to um, let your word sink deeply into our hearts to transform our lives, uh, that we would not just be hearers of your word, but we would be doers. And you would be glorified in it all. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Paul begins by saying, our people Two very simple words, but it's loaded with so much implication. And and so our people is him pointing to the people in Crete who have become followers of Jesus. So this letter, just to give a little bit of context, is Paul writing to uh, one of his disciples, Titus, and he's writing to Titus as he's uh, instructed Titus to remain in Crete to help establish the church, set things in order, to uh, set elders in place, and really to give them uh, guidance to constructing the church as God wills. And so in this, we 
have Paul acknowledging that there, is, there are people who are following Christ. But one of the interesting things about this our people statement is that um, Paul has established earlier in his letter that the people of Crete are um, a people with a, a horrific reputation. Um, he says that they are, uh, he says they're, they're greedy, gluttons, lazy, and they're evil beasts. This is the worst possible resume that you can have. And Paul says that these people are our people. And this is an amazing thing because it reminds us of the transforming power of the gospel. That God is choosing people from with, with the, 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 the worst of reputations, the worst of backgrounds, and he is saving them. Earlier in the passage, or in this letter, um, Paul says in uh, Titus 2, verse 14, he says, actually, I'm going to read from 11. He says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. And then we skip down to 14. He says, he, being Jesus, gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to cleanse for himself a people for his own possession, eager to do good works. This is what God has done among the people in Crete. And this is what God has continued to do today. And, and God's choosing of these people with, the, with this reputation is not abnormal. It's actually a, a very normal thing. It's a part of God's way. It brings him glory. We think of Abraham, who's an idol worshiper, and God calls him to go to a place that he's never been to uh, bring forth a, a child when him and his wife are in their past, far past their childbearing years. God calls Moses, a murderer, who when he is instructed by God to, to speak the words of God, he actually says, he has the audacity to say to God, that, that my mouth can't do this thing you've commanded me to do. The God who created his mouth. We, we see Rahab, uh, a prostitute from uh, the rival nation, Jericho, and God calls her to be an ally to God's people while they're invading her very nation. Even Paul himself, the author of this letter, was a terrorist to God's people committed to, to dismantling and destroying and burying these followers of Jesus. God calls him, and, and in fact, there was a, there's, there's, there's actually good, a good case for him being uh, complicit to, to murder. Um, this man, God calls to bring his gospel to the Gentile nations. We serve a God who doesn't look at our reputation he doesn't look at our past as limitations. He calls some of the most unlikely characters to be the ones who go forth in doing his good work in the earth. This ought to move us to give God praise, amen? 
that some of us here, if we're honest, we are those unlikely characters who shouldn't have the title of God's people. But this is what he has done among us and continues to do among us. And it brings him glory. Because you know what? Anyone can pick the, the best players of the team. They're make, you make an all-star team and you pick number one on every team, you're likely to do well. Maybe it might be a little bit of conflict, but, but you'll do better than if you picked the people who were the bench warmers, who had the least status, the lowest, the lowest um, stats on every team. And this is what God has done. And he has created, he's created a team and he's told this team, he's told us that you're on the winning team. Amen? Amen. And so Paul says, our people. He acknowledges these are our people. He goes on to say, our people are to learn to be devoted to good works. And throughout this letter, Paul, in multiple occasions, he gives lists of good works that the people of Crete are to engage in. And he gives these lists and even identifies um, the unique ways in which these good works would look based on their roles. So he talks about elders. He talks about younger men. He talks about older women. He talks about younger women. And he gives them all um, things that they're to focus on doing to um, to do the good works that God's called them to do. This reminds us that a key aspect in us knowing the good work that God's called us to is to spend time in his word. Amen? God's word helps us to know how we're to live in this life, in this world, even specific to the roles that we play in our families, in our community, and in our church. But Paul actually says something slightly different. He's not just calling us to learn what good works we're to do. He's calling us to learn to be devoted to good works. And this learn actually then looks a little bit different. It's not learned so much by having knowledge of what we're to do. It's learn by doing. It's a continual commitment, continual application of doing good works. That's the learn he's talking about. So what he's really saying is that our people need to continue in doing good works. And this helps us to understand some of the other points that Paul makes in his letter. Um, And in fact, one particular point that he makes very clearly is that in order to continue in good works, they must continue in the gospel, continue to believe God. And so if you look with me, we already hit uh, Titus 2 verse 11, but Again, we see, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. And then if you go just 10 verses later, he says in 3 verse 4, but when the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us. In the span of 10 verses, Paul gives the gospel twice to these people. He wants to to, to. reinforce this idea, this, re- this truth that, that the gospel is the way in which they are going to be able to continue 
to be devoted to do good works. The gospel is essential. And, and it's, it's so important to Paul that they, they continue in this, that he actually tells Titus, verse 15 of chapter 2, proclaim these things, encourage and rebuke with all authority. Let no one uh, disregard you. You go to 3, verse 8, he says, this saying is trustworthy. I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed God might be careful to devote themselves to good works. Paul is, Paul is letting Titus understand that this is the absolute essential truth that they need to hold on to. They must hold on to in order to, as he says, be careful to devote themselves to good works. I want to make it really plain. The gospel frees us as believers, frees us as people to be radically generous, to be radically char charitable. When we consider what God has done, that he has saved us, he's uh, cleansed us, he's given us a title that can't be revoked, that we are his people. Not only that is he has given us his spirit who continues to work in us to sanctify us and make us more like Jesus. Not only that, he has promised to glorify us. And if this wasn't enough, day by day, Jesus says we can ask, give us this day our daily bread. We know that God is the one who provides for us. Now you tell me if there is anything that should keep us from being the most radically char charitable people on the face of this planet. If our God, the creator of the universe, the sustainer of all things, the one who, who owns all things, who's in control of all things, is giving freely to us everything we need, we should be able to freely give to those who have needs. Amen? This is the gospel that Paul says we need to hold fast to. And in this, he actually goes on to give uh, Titus a warning for these people. Verse 9 of chapter 3 says, But avoid foolish uh, disputes about the law, sorry, foolish debates, uh, genealogies, quarrels, and disputes about the law, because they are unprofitable and worthless. Paul says there's, there is something that has been happening, and he mentions it earlier, among these people that is threatening their ability to continue to believe the gospel. And it's something that we face today, false teachers. And if we look, Paul actually gives him, Titus, a, a way to deal with it. Verse 10, he says, reject a divisive person after a first and second warning. Three strikes, they're out. This is the way that Paul teaches Titus to deal with it. And I want to make it clear, this isn't contradicting Paul um, or other passages that say we're to contend for the faith. What he's really saying here is, is there's wisdom that we need to apply as we are facing false teachings and false teachers that we wouldn't get distracted from doing good works. He says there, there ought to be a point where we acknowledge when our continual efforts to help them see the truth of the gospel is going nowhere. 
And this is a hard thing for us to do sometimes. Sometimes those are people who are close to us, people who we love and we hold dear. And so Paul is, 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 is he's, he's giving this as a way to help them guard something that is more precious, the gospel to them, the gospel in them, that they would not be led into, um, as he says, useless, um, um, profitless uh, attempts to try and convert someone. So he says, if after a few times of, of trying to work with them to see it's going nowhere, he says, you leave it to God and you continue to do the profitable thing of believing the gospel and committing yourself to good works. But Paul doesn't just say that they're to devote themselves to good works or to learn to devote themselves to good works. He says, um, good works for pressing needs. And this comes right after Paul has said in, in verse 13, diligently help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their journey so that they will lack nothing. So Paul actually puts before them an urgent need that is actually um, from a a couple brothers in the church. He said, they're on a journey and I want you to diligently help them so that they would lack nothing in their journey. And this reminds us that, that some of the good work that we are called to do in meeting pressing needs is right here among us. It's our brothers and sisters in the faith. And, And in Galatians, Paul actually, um, he says it even clearer. He says that we're to um, do good to all, but especially those who are of the household of faith. That means we take care of God's family first. Amen? This is one of the things that helps us to to know the, the way we're to prioritize. And so if there are needs among us, we ought to prioritize those needs. And one of the things Jesus says is that this is a way that they will know you are my disciples by the love you have for one another, taking care of the household, taking care of the family. But Paul, Paul's message doesn't exclude our call to be loving to those who, are, who don't share our faith. And really it should remind us of Uh, Jesus teaching the story of the Good Samaritan. If you remember this story, there's a man who is beaten and left for dead by some robbers. And a Good Samaritan man comes um, along the path that he's on and sees him and is able to take him up and to take him and give him the help that he needs And we see Jesus saying that this is what it means to be a loving neighbor. This is how we fulfill the command to love our neighbor as ourself. And and so in this message, we actually see something very important. We see that this good Samaritan was actually already devoted to good works. How do we know this? Is that he was already 
prepared to give the help that this man needed. You see that? You with me? He's, he's already devoted to good works, and so he's prepared. And the, this readiness is essential. It's a part of how we learn to do good works. And, and this readiness for us today in many ways requires a plan. And so I want to give you a few practical things to think about for us to be able to love this way is some things that we can do is just having a, a plan in our finances that we set aside something in case we see someone who's in need. Having a, a Tim Hortons gift card or, or a food gift card that you keep on you in case you see someone who's in need of food. Knowing where local food banks and, and shelters are, getting their numbers is so easy. You look up the, the, the um, central intake line and you have access to a number that you can provide for someone, right? These are simple things that we can do, and there's so much more. If we really stop and consider, how can I be prepared to help someone who's in need? And it doesn't always require us to, to have a lot of money or to be able to give a lot. Just being prepared in those moments makes a difference. Amen? And so just like the Good Samaritan, we're called to be ready and I want to point out that in our church, we've, we are committed to, to doing good works of meeting pressing needs. And among us, one of the ways that we do that in serving our people is, is by having our member care. Member care is a way that we uh, continually care for the souls of those among us. But it's also a way that we um, can care for their physical needs. And so I just want to say very generally in, mem in, in our member care plan, we, we set aside money so that if there are those in need, and I want to say this is a part of your contribution is making this possible as you continue to give to the ministry, our elders and our church is committed to setting aside money so that if someone has an urgent need, we're able to meet it. Amen? And not only... Do we do this in, for members care? We also are committed to caring for our community. And as Sabrina mentioned, we have community care ministry where there are funds set aside. Um, we, we have uh, a ministry called Box of Hope where we prepare boxes of food that we're able to deliver to those in need. Um, and, and one of the ways that we've actually seen this be a huge blessing is really during the, the month of uh, November, December of last year, we saw um, a, over a dozen people make requests for these boxes. And by God's grace, we were able to deliver them to those people who, who requested it. We also have our common crib and our partnership with the PCC, as Sabrina mentioned earlier. This is a way that we're supporting um, mothers and families who are in need. Um, and and we, in, in, the, in the common crib, we have uh, supplies for baby care needs that are just ready for those who have who request it. And so these are some ways that as a church we're committed to it. But I want us to continue to think and to pray, um, how can we be involved as individual members of this church in serving our community and serving our members? Amen? And so this devotion to 
to doing good works. Paul tells us what, why we do what we do. In the end, he says, he says, so that they will not be unfruitful. This is the reason that he's, he's giving for why believers are to, why these believers are to, um, to learn to be devoted to good works. And in the life of the, the believer, fruit is essential. I want to make this clear. I want to say this again. Fruit, good fruit in the life of a believer is essential. Jesus says in, in John 15 that, John 15, 8 in particular, he says that God the Father is actually glorified from us bearing good fruit and that it is evidence that we are God's, Jesus' disciples. There's two things that he points out there, why fruit is so essential is that, first, it brings glory to God. God deserves the glory from our lives. This is one of the essential ways that, as Christians, we bring glory to God. But he also says that this is evidence of our faith, of our being disciples of Jesus. This evidence is, is, is essential both to us in that it helps us to have the assurance of our faith. Bearing fruit is one of the ways that God, that Jesus has said, we would know, we would have evidence that we are his disciples. It, it's evidence that helps us. It's also evidence that actually tells others that we are the disciples of Jesus. Jesus actually says it another way too in, in Matthew 5 verse 16, he says that, that we're to let our light shine before men so that they would see our good works and give glory to God. This is our witness to the watching world that we would be those who bear good fruit, that we let our light shine. And this, this act of, of, of doing good that brings glory to God is is sometimes seen as, as something secondary to us preaching the gospel. And so we spoke about the, the importance of us spreading the message. But I want to make it clear that throughout Scripture, we don't see a uh, divorce or a separation between the, the proclamation of the truth and our life lived that uh, bears witness to this truth our good works. We ought to be people who are communicating God's word and are demonstrating a commitment to it through our good works. These two things are not meant to be divorced. And as a church, this is our commitment. And as individual believers, this ought to be our commitment that we would continue to preach the gospel, spread the message, but we would also be serving our community Amen? Amen? And and so this is the, the internal and external witness of the church that we would be continually bearing good fruit. I want to finish with telling you a little story. I, I grew up in a church um, not too far from here 
uh, West Toronto Church of God. And I remember as I was growing up, one of the things that I continually saw was um, just different ways that that church was serving the community. Um, and they're not too far from us, so they're experiencing a lot of the same things that we may experience in this community. One particular uh, story that comes to mind is the story of a man named Steve. Steve was a homeless man who um, had some clear mental um, illness that he was dealing with. And uh, Steve would choose to come to our evening services. I think it was probably just easier for him. Um, sometimes Steve would show up and he would be drunk out of his mind. And I remember seeing the deacons and the welcome team scramble and try to figure out a way to, to handle Steve when he came in. And then sometimes he would come and he would be um, a little bit disturbed and he would cause a ruckus. He would say things, he would scream things out. Um, and, and, and it was challenging. Week after week, Steve would come. And I remember seeing the welcome team and the deacons and the elders um, get together. They realized this could be a scary thing. This could be a challenging thing, but we want to serve Steve. And so they got together and they created a plan on how they would deal with this man as he came in. And so week after week, they had to learn together how to manage Steve, how to help Steve. Sometimes Steve was a little bit um, he, he was a little bit angrier, a little bit fussier because he was hungry. And they learned to acknowledge, oh, you know what? We, we can set some food aside. And we had church mothers and we had a basement then with a kitchen. And so they would, they would prepare meals and just set them aside for Steve. So when he came, or if he came, they would have food for him. Sometimes Steve would come in and it would be the, the heat of winter and he would come in and his boots are, are filthy and they're... they're, they're just not, not fit for Canadian winter. You know what I mean. And they prepared um, clothing and, and, and shoes for Steve. And what happened is they, they learned over the weeks and months and years how to care for this man. They could have said, you know what, this isn't our, our work. Steve is, Steve is, he's too... He's too much of a loose cannon. This is too hard for us. They could have said, well, you know what, we're not trained to deal with this situation with this man, so you know, we're just not gonna deal with it. We're gonna find someone else. We're gonna kick him out. And I'm, I'm gonna be honest, there were times where the, the, the wisest thing for them to do was to escort Steve out. But I'll tell you, they continued to learn how to serve Steve until I remember going back um, I, we had left that church and I went back when I was a little bit older and I remember seeing Steve um, clothed in what seemed to be his right mind, dressed well, looked physically like he's doing a lot better, mentally like he's doing a lot better. And Steve is there at the back. He's one of the deacons. He's welcoming people in. He's singing to the glory of God with the saints. He's sitting under God's word. The gospel is meant to make us radically charitable people. 
one of the things that, that Jesus said marks his disciples is an eagerness to do good work. It's who we are because of what he's done for us. We do good because it's who we are. And there is a world that is, is desperately in need of more people who are willing to get in the mud. More will, people who are willing to help Steve out when they don't know what it's going to take. They don't know how hard it's going to be. It might, it's going to cost you something to keep helping Steve. It's going to cost you something to show love to those in your community, in our family who are hurting, who are in need. But this is what God calls us to, to be those who are radically committed to doing good work. And this is something that, that I want to encourage us to, to really spend time and pray through and think about. How can we be those who are continually loving neighbors, continually making a space for others who have needs in our community? How can we be getting involved in our church's uh, commitment and our, our efforts to serve one another and serve our community. This isn't a, a message that is, is meant to stir you up and have you shout and then go away and forget it. This is a message that is calling you, is urging all of us to be actively committed to doing good works, to bearing good fruit. I miss saying it, but I'm going to say it now. Good works are the good fruit of God's people. Say this with me. Good works are the good fruit of God's people. It's who we are, so let's be who we are called to be. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you for your word. Sometimes we, we want your word to stir us up into a frenzy and to make us shout and to make us scream and say amen's back, but sometimes you just want your word to sink deeply into our hearts. Um, in fact, you always want that to be the case, for it to bring true conviction that, that leads to, to a true commitment to do what you call us to do. And Lord, it is a reality that you know, we can't do this good work without you. We need your help, God. We need your spirit to continue to work in us, to make us a people who learn to be devoted to doing good, especially the good of helping those with urgent needs. So Lord, right now, would you continue to to move our hearts, Lord. There are many among us who are working in um, areas of work. We're on, we're on the front lines, God. We're already doing the work of helping those. I pray that you would, you would mobilize us even more, God, together, Lord, to, to come up with ways, with strategies, with ideas of how we can be at the forefront as a church of serving those in need. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't become complacent seeing all the 
uh, agencies and all the services around us that seem to be doing a good enough job. But Lord, we would we'd have such a desire to get into this work, to, to do the good that you call us to do, Lord, that, that, that if it means partnering with ministries like PCC and finding ways that we can serve uh, through there, if it means starting things of our own, God, Lord, give us that wisdom, give us that guidance from your spirit now. And I thank you, Lord, I thank you that we're free to do this because of what you've done for us that you take care of your people abundantly. And so, Lord, I pray that in gospel freedom, we would give freely for your glory and our joy in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For more resources or information about Hope Church, visit hopetorontonorth.com.